the biggest challenge for us was explaining it to people so that they were comfortable with it. I finally said, it's so simple, it's complicated. People could not get their arms around the fact that all we were asking them to do was have a conversation over mealtime, that there was no gimmick, no no trick that was going to happen. So I think that was really getting people to understand what it what, what it is and how it works was the, was the biggest role. You're hearing Catherine Dennis, president of the Community Foundation of Central Georgia, discuss On the Table, a national initiative about the importance of respectful public discourse as a community building strategy. And like Catherine says, the basics of the initiative is simply getting community members together over a meal to speak about what can be done to positively change the community. This is The Nonprofit Experience, a podcast that presents candid conversations about the human experience of nonprofit work. And I'm your host, Sandy Sear. Catherine and the Community Foundation of Central Georgia got involved with On the Table via a grant from the Knight Foundation, which supports On the Table as part of its larger goal to foster the informed and engaged communities essential to a functional, healthy democracy. At the Knight Foundation, Lily Weinberg is the Program Director of Community and National Initiatives and has brought On the Table to Central Georgia and other communities across the country. Although a conversation over dinner is a straightforward enough concept, You'll hear Lily and Catherine explain all good and complicated change that's possible when community members work together. The next voice you'll hear belongs to Lily of the Knight Foundation. I'm going to just take a minute to set the predicate of of what On the Table is and why Knight Foundation originally invested in this this initiative. So, So just to take a step back, Knight Foundation's mission is informed and engaged. So we believe community members need to have access to information and be engaged around that information in order to have a healthy, thriving democracy. And I really can't think of a, of a better initiative than On the Table that fits really squarely in our mission. So, so On the Table is really a platform that community foundations, civic leaders, and community organizations have used to engage residents in dialogue about community issues and spark positive change in their community. It's really a simple idea. It was started by the Chicago Community Trust um, almost five years ago and now has expanded to over 30 communities across the country um, with 250,000 people participating in this initiative. It's really just one table at a time. It's a simple idea um, about coming together around food and, and really, so one, breaking bread with different people in your community, and two, having solutions-oriented conversations that leverage information for learning in the community. So so really, and, and Catherine, I think you're going to agree with this, this isn't, this isn't about a complaint fest. This is about talking about the future of your community and really focusing on the solutions. I just want to highlight it highlight a couple of, of the numbers that we that we have from on the table. And then Catherine, I want to go into how and why you decided to join this initiative. So in 2017, so two years ago, we convened over 40,000 people in 10 night cities across the country. Um, in 2018, we increased it up to 50,000 people. And this year, we're going to have over 11 communities participating and on the table. So night communities participating on the table in both Macon. Um, and I'm really excited um, to announce that Milledgeville, Georgia, will be participating. So, so Catherine, you're going to be helping us lead two cities. I think the only community foundation that's going to be helping with, <laughs> with two cities. So, so I don't know what you got yourself into, but tell 
tell me why you, I would love to hear why you, why you're so committed to this initiative. I have had a long standing belief that, that so much can be accomplished if we actually sit down and get to know each other and really talk about solutions and with actionable things that come from those conversations. And on the table has turned out to be the perfect tool to do that. And when I heard about it, the first time we were finishing up or just getting really launching the downtown challenge. And so we couldn't be part of the first wave, but when opportunity came to apply to be part of the second round, our resident program director in Macon and I decided that we were ripe for this, that we really needed to, to take part in these on the table conversations and Knight foundation was gracious to, and we were lucky to be selected to do that. But the reason we join is that, we have seen some some progress, forward progress in our community of people working together. But this would be an opportunity to engage a lot of people that sometimes we see in our community, the usual suspects are weighing in and they're very involved and it's a very diverse group. But again, it's a very siloed group, but we needed to really, really reach all of our community. And one of our goals was to make sure that we had tables in every zip code in mm-hmm. in Macon Bibb, Macon Bibb County, we're a unified government. And we were able to accomplish that and to also work hard to reach people and bring people into the conversations who sometimes feel disenfranchised and aren't mm-hmm. part of the conversation. In fact, we were able to have the very first conversation of the day or conversations of the day were at a, at a day shelter, a day homeless shelter mm-hmm. called Daybreak. We did it with um, older adults, with our housing authority um, in South Bacon at all of our rec centers in, in the community. But and we actually had a table in our local law enforcement center, the local jail uh, with prisoners so that mm-hmm. we could make sure that we were hearing from those people who, who don't always have a voice. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an, a, a, a really, really important point. And, and it's about intentionality, right? Um, you really have yes. to go above and beyond to make sure that you're including all community members. And, and so whether that, that means inmates to new, new immigrants in the community, I mean, there's really an intentionality that goes around it where we really have to go above and beyond to, to go out of your way. Can you, I just want to dig into that point a little bit more about h- how you went about that. And I, and I would guess that, that you had to be very strategic about who the hosts were for these conversations. Can you just talk a bit about, about the, the hosts and how that works in the community? Yes. Um, what we, what we did before we did a public launch, I would say for on the tables that we went to local community groups and asked them to be what we called super host organizations that would be willing to host 10 tables or more. And most of them to be public tables, meaning that we could put on our website that they had a table available and that anyone could sign up to go have a conversation and participate in the, in a meal um, at their group. And so we talked our school district signed on as a super host then we went to our libraries our public library system was just did a phenomenal job my favorite i think their table was one of their tables was my favorite they actually had it at at a 
their location in South Bibb County, where we have people of Hispanic origin, and they invited a bunch of city leaders to come and government officials. And when they greeted them in the library, they they had all the signs in Spanish. They spoke to them only in Spanish. And, and about halfway through, they switched and went back to English, which is all of the um, representatives were there. So um, it, was, it was just a really cool thing so that they could get a feeling of what it might be like to be in, um, to, to walk into a place where you don't speak the language. Mm-hmm. And, but so we went to the library, went to our housing authority, went to our hospitals, our two local hospitals, um, all of our universities. But we, so we reached out that way, but then we also went to churches and we asked, we did it on a Wednesday so that Wednesday night suppers could be a place where things might be held. We went to our council of clergy. We actually, I did my first robo call where I was told this was the best way to reach the African-American pastors in our community. So imagine my surprise when I answered my cell phone, it was my own voice <laughs> <laughs> on a robo call. I didn't, I had I to hang up it. on myself. Um, but again, and then we, we did a lot of, of speaking engagements to, to get a core group of tables. So we had something to, to offer, but then we did, uh, we partnered with our local news media, with our TV stations and our radio stations and the newspapers and, and independent newspaper and asked them if they would run ads for us. And we did, we, and so we ran ads and asked people to come to our website and volunteer to sign up as a host and to host tables. And we had about, we had almost 600 tables and 5,000 people participated. About half of those tables were public tables, like I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. where people could come, they could sign up on our website and come. And about half were private tables where people decided to to host a table, but to invite their guests. We had county commissioners, the clerk of our county commission invited the people who sign in the most to come and speak at our county commission meetings to come and meet with the commissioners and Mm -hmm. There had always been such an sometimes an adversarial relationship when they're just coming to complain before the commission. And this was an opportunity for the for the commissioners to meet with these constituents face to face. And this to me crystallizes the benefit and shows of, of, of having conversations. Um, one of our commissioners was was very unhappy that it was going to happen because the person that signs in and complains the most um, was actually invited to come to his table. And by the end, they were friends. They understood each other more. They understood the other person's perspective. And, and it just, it turned out to be such a meaningful conversation for both of them to realize that you can disagree, but you can still understand where the other person is coming from clerk of the commission was so excited about it but the commissioner and the and the citizen were excited about it and that to me is the benefit of having these these conversations through on the table mm-hmm. is that it gets people really talking to each other one one on one as opposed to just espousing something um, on Facebook or um, at a at a public meeting but where you don't really have a conversation about it yeah i i i hear you there i mean that's that that really resonates with me because i think I think sitting at the same table, making eye contact, you know, uh, breaking bread together uh, really changes the power dynamic that that we see at traditional um, government meetings. And and so this story really resonates with me.
there is an appetite for for conversation and that people loved the idea of being able to to sit down with in some cases people they knew well and talk and in some cases people they'd never seen before and make a new friend it worked for everybody i was really proud of how we structured or set up our website mm-hmm. we listed all of our public tables we had a map that so that the tables were you could see by geography where they were so if you were looking for something close to you you could do that we also listed the tables by time so that um, if you had a specific time you were free that you could look and see what was available and then we also did it by topic. And um, we had general prompts for the conversations to get people started. We had general prompts for um, hosts to get the conversation started. We had seven of those, but we also told our hosts that the conversation was really what, what happened was up to them. And that sometimes you could, you might start with the first question and then you would, the conversation took on a life of, an, of its own. And that's fine. This is not prescriptive. It, the whole idea is just to get people talking and then in the end actually come up with some actionable things that they want to do. We had the most success though, with people signing up for tables when there was a specific topic mentioned. Oh, that's interesting. I, I wonder if that's because people will gravitate towards what they're interested in. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that sounds obvious. Yes, absolutely. But, yeah. a- absolutely. I think that, um, that, you know, there were things like food insecurity, the arts. I mean, there were, I mean, a broad education. Um, there was one on mobility access in public places. We had one on recidivism. There were lots of different topics. Um, and then there was a lot of positive conversation just around what do you say when you're bragging about Macon mm-hmm. and what makes you say that? And then we had some some other ideas, other prompts in there, but one that really prompted a lot of conversation and that most people used was if you only had $100 in one day, what would you do to make our community stronger? And it just got people thinking about the fact that you don't just doesn't just take money to do something. This is about what can I do? This isn't about someone else doing something for you. This is about how can we come together as a community to move forward. And we actually came up with the tagline, what happens next is up to you. Because mm-hmm. at one of our host trainings, we were going through all of the, all that would go on and, um, and about the survey. And then one person raised his hand and he said, so tell me, he said, once you have all this information, who's going to do, who's going to do everything that we tell them needs to be done? And I said, whoa, I must have missed something in this training. I said, this isn't about telling somebody else what's the matter and what needs to be done. This is about looking for, for the positives and the things that, that, that maybe aren't so positive, but that we can do as citizens and as individuals. It's about civic engagement to, to get something done. They have the power to, to make a difference mm-hmm. and to do something that it's not up to somebody else that they can, whether they choose to act on their own idea or work with others to, to make it happen or, or go talk to our, their, their local government official about something that needs to be, needs to happen, but they can't just expect somebody to do something without, you know, without coming in with some good solutions as well. And I think that's what really came out of our on the table conversations. Absolutely. No, I, I, I think that's a really good point. Okay, so so you had over 5000 people come out, um, which is uh, close to, I don't know, I, I can't do the math in my head, but it's close to 4% of Macon's population. Um, and, and so that's huge. 
folks had really good conversations, solutions oriented conversations. But but I, I, you know, what so what happens next? You know, so you're you're telling the you're telling the folks, you know, it's it's up to them. But I would love to hear from you thus far. What kind of impact have you seen in the community over the past eight, nine months since you've done the on the table. In your your answer, I would love to hear you talk a bit about how you link this to a larger plan within Macon, um, which I thought was really, really savvy and smart. Thank you. Yes. I would say for the first three months after on the table, there wasn't a day that went by that somebody didn't say, well, at my on the table conversation, we talked about this. Now it's probably every week, but at least once a week, somebody says, well, at my on the table conversation. So people are still thinking about it. It really touched them. We, the on the table for, for Macon last year came in at a wonderful time because we were wrapping up, our community was wrapping up its first five-year community and economic development strategic plan called One Macon. And we had three pillars of jobs, schools, and place that we, that we had tactics under, strategies under. And, and so this gave us an opportunity. We were getting, we were starting the planning process for the second five-year strategic community and economic development plan. And use, we used on the table to have conversations. I mean, some of our prompts were, were, were around, you know, we, we took what, you know, what's, what's, what, what's important to you. We tried to get some of that, those anecdotal conversations recorded for the plan, but we also used the survey at the end that people took after they participated in the conversations to ask very specific questions that tied back to our first five-year plan to see where we had moved the needle on, on, on things that had been identified as concerns in the first plan. And, and then also to use the data to drive what we needed to focus on in the second plan moving forward. What did this, what did citizens of Macon Bibb think that needed to be, we needed to have in that plan. So this data was very informative to the planning committee, as well as the consultants who were helping us shape that. I was bowled over when our mayor started his state of the community address to over 600 people that they were streaming live with. He said, I've looked at the on the table data and he, he talked all about what, what citizens had said and what he gleaned from the on the table data that was collected. And then after that, our sheriff and our local crime stoppers group launched a campaign of, you know, they were, they were posting the 10 most wanted in response to the concern that surfaced um, from the on the table data around crime and violence in our community. So our local officials were using this data as well, are using this data as well. And that's something that we had told participants participants we really hoped would happen. Of course, I couldn't commit for the government that that would happen, but they really are using it. And I think that makes people feel like, you know what, my voice really was heard. It really did make a difference. I, th- I think our plan is, our next five-year plan is going to be very reflective of the concerns that, that were expressed around poverty and economic security and having good jobs in our community. And it's going to focus on workforce training and financial education, things that are going to actually be able to move the needle on what citizens said and on the table were important to them.
the pushbacks on um, on the table was, well, okay, is this just a conversation? Is this just getting people to have some lunch and 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 talk, or is there something more? And that data piece was in particular very interesting to us. I actually had a mayor in one of my communities say to me after or during the conversations, they were expecting over 10,000 people to participate, um, which is well over 5% of their population. And he's like, this is amazing, you know, to have so many people coming out and talking about our community. And he was so excited to get that data because in general, it's really hard to get good data with that many people in the community. So to have thousands of people tell you what they want, that's that's extremely valuable and and can be used to inform decision makers. So I'm so happy that Macon was able to leverage it for for one Macon and and other departments are really leveraging it to to understand what the community was talking about. It's so exciting. And our um, and our philanthropic community is looking at it as well. Where do we need to focus our where do we need to focus our efforts and how can we be more impactful? And I think my favorite part of the action that came later, we ask every single person who left who who participated in the tape in the in a conversation to leave with at least one actionable thing that they were going to do as a result of their conversation. And 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 they did. But then we also offered twenty thousand dollars worth of, of of what we called conversation to action grants. They were mini grants. We opened it on the day of of for us was October seventeenth, twenty eighteen. We opened the, the grant application that day and we ended up awarding 17 grants totaling $15,000 for small grants for ideas that people just needed a little seed capital and then we did one larger grant for $5,000 to an organization to help us look at resources of, that are available in the community for whether it's for health and human services or activity, fun activities to do with families. Because one of the themes that we heard in conversations where I would have they, their table decided the one thing they needed to do was have a resource for um, a resource guide for for them to use to be able to tell people when they needed a service, where they could go. And what we realized was that there are a lot of resources out there, but community as a whole didn't know that they were there. And it was twofold that the, that the people who, who have resource, who have money and time to give, didn't know what services were available to help the people that they thought were in need. And then the people that were in need didn't necessarily have access to know what resource, the information of what resources were there to serve them. We do have a lot of resources in our community. We found that and actually are going to include a resource list in our host toolkit this year so that people don't spend time saying we need to create a, a, a resource guide. We just need to be able to tell them that it's there. I was so excited with the with the variety of grants, grant applications we received for our conversation to action grants. And, and some of them were powerful in what they were going to be able to produce as far as action, but not much money. We, um, one, one woman, after having a conversation, realized that sometimes it was hard for people to um, be able to wash their clothes. They didn't have access to a washing machine or money 
need to go to the laundromat. So she started a um, thing called Laundry Days where she would give tokens to people. They could come and do their laundry and then they would have a conversation similar to on the table while they're while they were doing their laundry. And that's been very successful. She actually went through the thousand dollar grant and and raised some more money and has continued to do it. We had a group of people or people who live downtown who were who were homeless to come and, and meet with residents and business owners downtown for dinner. And um, the homeless people, one of the things that they said was that, first of all, they had never been inside this restaurant. They'd never been inside a restaurant downtown. They'd never been invited in. And then the next thing that came up was that their number one need was a place to go to the restroom, that there was no place to go to the restroom because most businesses said mm-hmm. you had to buy something there. And so um, one of the people who participated in the conversation with the homeless wrote a grant to bring, to try putting a portable toilet downtown, um, what we call porta potty downtown in a place so that they would actually have a place to go to the restroom. That actually proved to be a little bit more challenging getting going through the government red tape, but we've just been able to launch that this month. Um, we've had something as simple as a group of, of young people adopting a street. And then I just heard last week or last month that um, a woman, she did not apply for a grant, but she was so inspired by a conversation that she had at Historic Macon Foundation that she organized a group of people on the street where she worked to go and mow the grass on of the blighted properties that were on that street and do a trash pickup once a month. So she just said, you know what, we'll just take it into our own hands and, and get rid of the, some of this blighted property ourselves and make them look better. So it really did, I guess, spark some interesting Mm. ideas. And 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 I think that's a really good point, Catherine, around, you know, how this informed the funders too. And, and so it's two part, we've seen how, how funders have done micro grants, you know, around the ideas that that were talked about, or on the table. But then secondly, what I saw too, across the country was, on the table helped inform the strategy for some foundations because, you know, they heard from their community and that, that the community wanted A, B, and C. And, and, um, and so the foundation helped to, you know, adopt that focus for their discretionary funds. So I thought that that was a really interesting thing that, that I saw um, for some of the, the community foundations or place-based foundations that participated. Um, so, so I want to I want to pivot a little bit and and just comment on and get your take on this, Catherine, about about the appetite for these conversations. You know, Knight Foundation, we when we invested in this originally, we we weren't sure how how this if if this was going to be successful or not. We just we really had no idea. Um, I just want to give a little bit of context about the time when we invested in this. We voted for this um, this grant, I believe, in 2016. Of course, we had a, a major national election that year, and in our country was very divided, frankly. And so, but but what we found over the past few years is even though our country is divided and even though our country is more and more dependent on technology, there is a deep desire for these in-person solution building conversations at a local level. 
Um, you know, and I want to emphasize that at a local level. You know, this isn't about Washington, D.C. This is talking about your community, your community where you, whether you're a Republican or Democrat or whatever, you share the same elementary school or you send your kids to the soccer practice together and you're really trying to find common solutions. So I would love to get your take on that. What's your thought? Why do you think that there's such appetite, especially in a time in our country where where we're deeply divided in a lot of ways? Because I think that's the reason there's an appetite for it. I just think people know in their hearts that we have more in common than we have, that we have differences and that, that it's getting to know people at, on a personal level is the only way to, to move, move things forward. And that it's a lot harder to, to dislike somebody, hate somebody and, and, and get in, get off into crazy rhetoric when you're face to face, but you also mm-hmm know that person and, and, and have a connection to that person. So I think people are hungry for that. I just want to thank you, Catherine, for having this conversation with me about On the Table and and for your years and years of good partnership with Knight Foundation. Thank you so much for, for joining me and thank you, Philanthropy Journal, for, for the opportunity to to talk about this really impactful initiative. Thank you so much, Lily. I, um, thank you for being a wonderful partner along with Knight Foundation and for, um, for the opportunity to, um, to lead and participate in On the Table and, and especially for the opportunity to talk about On the Table with you today. It was really important. And I, I too, am grateful to the Philanthropy Journal and um, for all the good work they're doing to advance, advance our profession. So thank you. And that's it for our show this week. Thank you, our faithful listeners, for supporting the nonprofit experience. Head to onthetablenetwork.com to learn how you or your community can get involved with On the Table. This episode was edited by our producer, Preston Whitworth. Shalina Omar is our digital director, and Andre Tidwell is the production assistant. All of our music was composed by David Mueller. I'm the executive producer and your host, Sandy Sear. This show is a listener-supported project of the Philanthropy Journal. You can find show notes and access previous episodes at philanthropyjournal.org. And don't forget, if you can, support a public school classroom project, invest in some LED light bulbs, and watch our latest Instagram story at The Nonprofit Experience.